too awkward. I don't even know what I believe about it. I don't even know where I stand on the issue. I'm too scared to talk about it. I just don't want to go there. It's too painful. Jesus had the courage to talk about this stuff. Maybe we can too. Good evening, Saturday night. It's great to see you. Let's start by praying before we dare tread into some very, very difficult territory. Would you pray with me, Father God? Would you help us to love you and honor you more than anything as we navigate some very tough and choppy waters today? God, would you help us find the place of grace in what can be a very painful subject for many? Lord, we need you more than ever, more than ever. So I ask that you would come in the precious name of Jesus. And the Saturday night crowd agreed together and said, amen. Just like last week, I'm going to beg you to stay with me from beginning to end because if you take a break at any point during this message, you're going to end up in a very, very confused spot. If you have a Bible with you, Luke chapter 7, we're going to start reading at verse 36 in just a couple of moments. I love Luke chapter 7. Jesus is having dinner with a member of the religious elite. It's a nice dinner filled with tidy religious people. And then she shows up. Some translations say that she's a woman of the city, which brings with it a certain kind of implication. Most translations say that she'd lived a sinful life. Haven't we all? Haven't we all? She slips in, intruding on a nice, tidy moment, and the second she gets there, the awkward meter starts to go up, and the Bible says that she stood behind Jesus at his feet, weeping. She began to wet his feet with her tears, and then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. It's an awkward moment, an extravagant act of love. It's a cry for mercy from an unbelievably broken person. And in that unbelievably sacred moment, the religious dinner host does what religious people do for the most part. He judges both him and her. The Bible says, when the Pharisee who'd invite Jesus saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who's touching him, what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. It's equal opportunity judgment, and it's distasteful, isn't it? Jesus answered him. I love that. He says it to himself, and Jesus just starts talking. Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him a lot, and the other just a little. Neither of them had the money to pay him back because the debt they owed was just too big. So, what happened? And then he says, the, the moneylender forgives the debts of both, one big and one small. And here comes the question, now which one of them will love him more? Simon, I'm sure, stutters and says, well, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt, I'm sure that one would love him more. Jesus basically says, that's a good answer. Correct. And then in a moment of unforgettable grace, the God who knows both the secrets of the Pharisee, because he has skeletons in his closet too, the God who knows his dirty secrets, and, and the God who knows everything that this lady who's crying in front of him has ever done, he wrings out of her broken life the most improbable of gifts, mercy and grace 
and forgiveness and love. Just love Jesus in this second. It's so good. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, so get the picture. He's looking at her while he's talking to him. Do you see this woman? I came into your house and you didn't give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. And you didn't give me a kiss, but this woman from the second I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You didn't put oil on my head, but she's poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. And the other guests begin to whisper among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. I love that Jesus flips it. He gives her what she doesn't deserve. And isn't that the way God's dealt with all of us? Gives us what we don't deserve. Now, don't miss that, that little piece in the end there when he says she left in peace. She came in shame and she left with joy. She came in pain, but she left in peace up and praying that that exact same result happens for every single person who comes here this weekend, that we'll be able to actually leave in peace. I'll tell you what, this is a tough topic that we're going to talk about. I've lost sleep over this one. I've tossed and turned trying to figure out how do you approach something that's so unbelievably tender for so many. Tender because it involves the future of the tiniest, most defenseless little humans that you can talk about and at the same time brings up the gravest of pain for many others. So we're going to look at the taboo topic of abortion. Nice light topic for a Saturday night, right? And we're going to look at it through a variety of lenses. So let's get started exactly where we started. Okay, we're going to look at the taboo topic of abortion through the lens of grace. That's where I wanted to start. I wanted to make sure we started there because that's the point of this beautiful encounter. The goal is not judgment. It's not vengeance. It's not condemnation. It's not scorecarding sin and pretending that we're all so much better than we actually are. No, it's grace. And I'll tell you something about grace. It's messy and it's glorious. That's the beautiful part of it. And my prayer is that somehow we all get there and that we all get a chance to stay there as we walk through this. So we could look through the lens of grace. We could also look through the lens of culture. Because over and over in this series, we've seen how culture always seems to tip towards my rights, right? What works best for me? Culture says that should be the basis for personal decisions. And over and over, we've seen God call our hearts away from our rights towards what God says is our responsibility. When it comes to the foundational belief about this thing called life, I think we could all agree that culture says life is negotiable based on your rights. That you get to choose. That you're in charge. That this is about what's right for you. That that you get to make a decision because after all, it's just about you. You call the shots until this guy named Jesus shows up and interrupts. And when you hand the lordship of your life over, God starts calling the shots. And God sets the boundaries. And we have the audacity to think that God actually has the final word. So while the world negotiates their rights, God says life is a gift to be stewarded responsibly. There's a beautiful scripture that says, you are not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your mind and with your body and with your soul and with every piece of it and with your decisions as well. The Bible tells us that everything about us is borrowed and it's to be stewarded according to how God wants our lives to be lived, not necessarily how we may see it. 
We could look through the lens of grace or culture. There's another lens we could look through. We could look through the lens of theology on this one, okay? Let me quickly and concisely lay out God's position on life as we find it consistently from the beginning page of the book to the end of the book. Okay, now, don't jump too quickly in assumptions when you're filling out your outline because you're probably going to get some of them wrong. Here's the first one. God is pre-life. Pre-life. Some of you are going in totally different directions. Just stick with me, okay? The Bible says God's before all life. He's the origin. He's the originator of all life. Listen to his word to the prophet Jeremiah. He says, the word of the Lord came to me saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as the prophet of nations. God says to this man, before I even made you, conceived of you, I knew you even before then. In eternity before and eternity after, I've known every single thing about you. You are mine. I named you. I laid out your future. I set you apart with a unique design. So forget about conception for a second. Even before, even before life was there, God was there. He's before all of it. That's what makes him God, right? God was there, and then as Scripture says, God creates life. He creates it masterfully patiently, diligently, meticulously. God creates every single life. It comes from Him. Listen to these words from King David. They're famous. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully, wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you, even when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them even came to be. God is the originator and he is the creator. He is the one who places the boundaries around this thing called life. And then what does he do with it? He gifts life. He gifts it. Listen to God's heart. He says, sons are a heritage from the Lord. No offense, my sisters, okay? All right? The sons are a heritage from the Lord. Children, there's everybody, a reward from Him, okay? So this gift of life, it's given to each one of us, and then should God so choose, and it doesn't work this way for everybody, should God so choose, He then chooses to bless, and He wants to remind you, your children are a blessing from Him. Now, not every parent will say amen to that. Let's be honest. Some of you are just like, you're talking my four-year-old? That is not a blessing. That is God's judgment on me, and God's getting even. That's why I'm up all night long with that crazy kid, right? Okay, not everybody's going to go there, but the Bible keeps reminding us that they're a gift. Why? Because they're a representation of God's heart. The God who originated, created, and masterfully designed this thing called life, which means this. As a parent, when my kids get it right, it's a gift. When they get it wrong, it's a gift. And isn't it beautiful to see that God sees it this way because we are His children and He is a, I could have swore I heard you sing it, He's a good, good Father. So God gives life to all children, all of us. And then as we grow, we assume the responsibility of the gift of life. That's why the Bible says this in the book of Job. You gave me life and showed me kindness. 
So it's a gift. You showed me kindness, and in your providence watched over my spirit. What a beautiful, beautiful thing. Let's keep going. So God is before life, creates life, gifts life, and then because it all ends and begins with God, here comes, okay? We can say this authoritatively from Scripture, that God holds the boundaries of life. They're His to hold, not ours. Okay? Both the prohibition of ending it, that's your next blank, and we'll get to the next one in just a second. Okay? And I know that is a painful piece for some, that God holds the boundaries of life, that He holds the prohibition of ending a human life. That's what God says, no, that's not up to you. That's up to me. Now let's stop here for a second, okay? Before we take the mindset of the dinner host that Jesus had to deal with, before we just start judging somebody because they broke the sixth commandment, before we get there, let's just stop and revisit the first five commandments for a second. Anyone else in the room ever put anything before God before? Your wallet, your dreams, your future, your car, your calendar, your checkbook. Anybody else in the room ever done that one? Has anyone else created an idol in their home? We call it an entertainment system. Just like, now you're meddling, Grant. You bet, you, yeah, let's go there. And all of your attention is on that flickering box, and it consumes your time and your energy and your passion, and you worship it for about two and a half hours at a time on a Sunday afternoon, because after all, the guys there with the tight pants and the helmets, they need your heart there or they can't win. Anybody ever chosen church? Let me just put that a different way. Anybody ever chosen that over church? How's the second commandment working for you now? Just ask it, okay? And I know I'm meddling. Has anyone else ever smashed their thumb with a hammer and used a name from heaven to express their pain and their anguish? Anyone ever broken the Sabbath and worked right through a week just because you had so much you just needed to get done? And so there was no day of rest for you on that sixth day or seventh day or whenever else you want to put it. Anyone ever dishonored mom and dad with a thought? Ever? How are you doing with the list so far? Um, I'm five for five with disobedience, 0 for five with obedience. Everybody just feeling encouraged? We haven't even made it to number six yet. So before we start judging those around us who are living with the pain of breaking the sixth commandment, let's pick up a mirror. Oh yeah, and I should probably remind myself of this simple fact. Jesus says I can murder with my words and I can murder with my brain. Oh for six. Can we all agree today that we all stand equal in need at the foot of God's good cross? Can we admit that we don't get to pick at this person or that person because we all need exactly the same kind of grace? Can we put our arms around each other today and say, God, forgive us for having that religious judgmental spirit that somehow puts other people in a different category? Can we all agree that amazing grace is an equal opportunity for all of us to know Jesus more? Okay? So... Bottom line, God said, do not take a human life. 
because that life belongs to him. That's the bottom line. Okay, so God holds that prohibition, and he also holds something else. He holds the commandment to choose life. Now, this is about as clear as it can be laid out. God calls every person who claims to be a follower of him to make the decision to choose life. And I know, you can go through all different kinds of scenarios. This is where it starts. God says this in Deuteronomy 30. This day, this day, I call the heavens and earth as witnesses against you that I've set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Underline the next three words. Now choose life. It's pretty simple, right? Now choose life so that you and your children may live. So that you may love the Lord your God, listen to his voice, and hold fast to him. Even when it doesn't work, even when the world says it's not an option, even when the world gets all twisted inside of us and says, no, 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 you have your rights. In those moments, choose life. So that you and your children may live, so that you may love the Lord your God, listen to his voice, and hold fast to him. I can't get around that. Choose life. Choose to let them live. Just choose. I was at a civic roundtable the other day. I got kind of cornered by a guy. Just trying to contribute to the community. And he, he got me cornered. At, you know, he saw my name tag. And, and he kind of got me just kind of pinched in there in the end. And he asked me a question. He goes, here's what I want to know. I want to know. Why are you and your people? And I'm like, I have people? Really? I, I didn't know I had people. That, that's kind of cool. He goes, why are you and your people so wired up about this issue of abortion? And my answer was, because God has been absolutely clear about his love of life. Period. I don't get to negotiate this. We could look through the lens of grace, culture, theology, or we could look through the lens of science. I have a friend who I grew up with who's a geneticist. This past week, I asked some questions to her. She simply said this. Here's what you need to know. At the moment of conception, all the DNA that determines you is sequenced and imprinted, both. At the moment of conception, in that sacred moment of conception, when God brings everything together, all that's you is determined by God. Your hair color, your eyes, your voice, your build, your ability, your talents, whether you're tall, whether you're short, whether you're bald, whether you're wide. I mean, it's all determined in that moment. Some of you are just like, I want to appeal, right? It's <laughs> Wouldn't we all at some level, right? Wouldn't we all? But it's all there. I spoke to a pediatrician who reminded me of this simple fact. He said, Grant, here's what people need to know. At just eight weeks, at eight weeks of in utero development, a baby has all of their vital organs working. They can feel pain. They, they recoil away from pain. They suck their thumb. We can register their brain waves. He goes, here's one of the most recent things. We can actually tell when they're dreaming. We can tell. This precious little gift wants to live just like we are living. I can't get around that. They are living. They're gifted with life. And I believe as a follower of Christ that I'm supposed to honor what God created. We could look through the scientific lens or we could look through the statistical lens. Boy, this is where it gets tough. 
Because this is where it hits all of us. And believe me, I'm going to try and be as tender as I can right now. You know, God says to choose life, but the reality is many people that are facing pregnancy don't. They don't. That's a tough reality. Sherry Turner from the Whatcom County Pregnancy Clinic. She, she's going to join me in just a few minutes, but she shared some statistics with me. Here's one that kind of rocked me back on my heels. By the time they reach 45 years of age, one in four women will have abortion as part of their story. One out of four. That's a large number. That, that number kind of rocked me just a little bit, but this next one stopped my heart completely. Two out of three of those women would identify themselves as a woman of faith. Now remember, don't you dare judge. Let's not go the route of Simon here. Let's act like Jesus, all right? Let's go his route. But if that's true, do you know what it means? It means for most of you, at least one woman sitting in your row or section is carrying a deep wound in their soul that's going to take a miracle of God to heal. I believe He can heal it. Anybody else with me? I believe that He can. Let me throw one more statistic at you because I I don't want to ever fuel the myth that this somehow is a woman's issue. Okay, this is going to rock some of you, but it's true. In 100% of abortions, a man is involved. We get that, right? We understand that? I spent the last week talking to brothers from our church, some of whom are carrying unbelievable loads of guilt because they paid for, or they sanctioned, or they supported with their silence, or they withdrew support all together, and they're living with that pain inside of them because they know somehow they were a part of that fateful decision. I I sat with them, I talked with them, I prayed with them. And their pain comes from this haunting question. What if I'd protected the life? What if I'd trusted some of them? What if I'd trusted God to believe that He could put all the pieces together even when I didn't see a future at all? And here's what I know. The topic of abortion touches everyone involved. Let me add another painful piece, okay? I read numerous studies about the reasons behind abortion. There are studies done all of the time, and there was a single word that just kept coming up, and it haunted me because it just, it didn't seem to fit. The word was convenient. The baby was inconvenient. And that was the overwhelming reason that most people said, push their decision. That, that just busted my heart. We could look at the topic through the lens of culture, theology, science, or even statistics. But I'm like a band with one song. So let's go full circle and come back to this crazy thing called grace and forgiveness. I'd love to just talk to you for a second. Okay, let's just put all this stuff aside and there's no lights, no, nothing like that. Let's, let's just talk. Brother to brother, brother to sister. You know, for those women who made the choice to terminate a pregnancy, if I could be so bold as to speak on behalf of Jesus, I would say grace and peace to you. 
grace and peace to you. No condemnation. Because God is a God who heals and forgives. He doesn't just want the best of us. He wants the heartbreaking part of us too. My question is, can you find forgiveness from God? Well, my Bible says over and over again, that's so desperately what He wants to give you. Here's a tougher question. Can you find grace to forgive yourself? Boy, that's tough, right? Can you dream of a day when maybe God could take that pain and actually use your story to help somebody else choose life? Could you dream it? Can you wrap your head around it? That only comes from a place where you know beyond a shadow of a doubt, no matter what decision you may have made, that you are dearly loved, that you are precious, that you are worthy of honor, that you are a fully sanctified, completely washed as white as snow, daughter of the Most High King. And it's so important for us to get that. That you're worthy to release the pain and find healing for your tender heart. For the men in the room, my brothers, can I just talk to you for a second? For those who supported or, or paid or sanctioned or didn't support at all, and that's what, that's what pushed that person who was precious in your life at that time in, in, in the direction of making a decision that breaks your heart now, can you find it in your heart to believe that God can forgive you and heal you and restore you as well? Can you not buy the lie that God's grace is for everybody else, but just not for you, not in this case? Instead, can you believe it that when God says, if you confess your sin, He is faithful and just and will forgive your sin and cleanse you from all unrighteousness? Can you believe it to be true? Finally, for those who are facing the decision to terminate a pregnancy right now, can you summon the grace to believe that that little life is a gift. Maybe born out of very difficult circumstances, but a gift nonetheless. Can you believe that God can give you the grace to face a, a future, no matter how scared you may be right now? Can you trust God's grace to, to walk with you and abandon you? Would you actually have the courage to believe that as a church, that we run towards the messes, and that we will love you and help you, and you will never be alone. I've got a friend with me today who pours her life out, saving lives. I would totally make her blush. Uh, she's one of the heroes that I have here in this community. Her name is Sherry Turner, and she's the director of the Whatcom County Pregnancy Clinic. And I'm going to promise you something. This is not going to become a commercial for a clinic. They are in this struggle with life and death alongside of us. We work together on this. Sherry has a dream. She told it to me years ago. That Whatcom County would become an, abor an abortion-free zone. That this would be a place where grace so ruled the day that people would still be able to find healing in the midst of difficult, difficult times. So Sherry's going to come, and she's going to join me. She doesn't normally do this, so you're going to be really nice, okay? <laughs> Not that you aren't always. Sherry, why don't you grab a seat for me here, right okay. here. And, uh, yeah. 
So let me ask you a question. I asked you this the other day. We were just sitting up in my office. Why does this issue matter so much to you? Because I see every day the story of those around me who regret their choice of abortion. I see the raw and the deep and the devastating pain of a choice they can never take back. I've also been in the ultrasound room and am at times the only other person outside of the nurse and that precious mama who will ever see that little tiny peanut of a baby and its heart beating. I have also seen that young mama who chose life against all odds. This one young mama in particular that I'm thinking about uh, called me one day to fix the mistake that was inside of her. We spoke on the phone for over a series of weeks about her problem. And then one day she quit calling. About three and a half weeks later, she, she called me and connected with me again, still pregnant. She wanted an ultrasound. Not only did I get to be part of that ultrasound, I visited her in the hospital when she gave birth. I held that precious little gift in my arms. I prayed a prayer of blessing over him, that birth mama, the adoptive parents, and even grandma. That is why these stories that are in my life, what I see every day, why the issue of life is so important to me. And we could tell stories for hours. Yes. We did, right? We sat up in my office and just the stories just started pouring, pouring. Um, what's your story? And, and whose story do you speak on behalf of? Because you speak on behalf of many people who've been silenced in our society to mm -hmm. a large portion. But tell us a little bit about your story and how'd you get here? So I grew up in a world of abuse, sexual abuse from the time I was little throughout high school. I was bullied and alone all while growing up in the church. I almost ended my life at 19, and as only by the grace of God, I am here today. As an adult, I married, I had kids who are here, um, and then I became a divorced woman again within the walls of the church. I was devastated, and I lost hope for a long time. But it was the moment that I was raped that I walked away from God. I couldn't be that faithful, good, so-called perfect Christian person any longer. I chose death over life. So I speak on behalf of the broken in this room who have suffered at the hands of others and to those who have made choices that they regret, who are stuck in their past. I also believe God has called me to the church to speak to the many women and men who have experienced abortion. Unfortunately, those statistics you stated earlier about the number of women of faith experiencing abortion, I have found that to be true over and over again. I've heard it said that if Christians were to quit having abortions, the abortion industry would fold. Christian moms have shared with me after finding out their daughter was pregnant that abortion was suddenly within the realm of possibility even though they were completely against abortion themselves. So however abortion has come into your life, abortion does not have to define who you are in Christ. He loves you so very much and he wants to set you free. 
He came that we might have life and have life to the full. He came to set the captives free, to escape the bondage of sin. He hasn't called you to live in the shadows, but to be light in this world, even through your brokenness. He is the mighty counselor, the king of kings and the Lord of lords who knows you inside and out and yearns to be in relationship with you. He yearns to be in relationship with you, an honest, open relationship. He is so full of grace and mercy. I love that you just talked that over and over again. A woman in her 80s went through our after-abortion care ministry a few years ago. Did you catch catch that? She was in her 80s. She had lived most of her life, so we're talking decades, decades here, with a secret that she felt she couldn't share with anyone. Her parents knew because they were the ones who located a a doctor who would perform an illegal abortion. They left on a Monday and were back to church the following Sunday, never again to discuss what had occurred. This woman served in church her whole life with no one to talk to, no one to share her pain. She sat in small groups as careless words passed through her soul, wrenching her devastation to a whole nother level. Year after year after year after year, a professional man came and sat in my office one day. He was in a local helps organization and was wondering how we could partner since we have shared clients. Inevitably, the conversation came around to our after-abortion care ministry. He was very interested in this and asked many questions. And it was in that conversation where his story began to unfold. Many years ago, he started. He and his now-divorced wife chose abortion. He stated that he lives in hell every single day and has now for 42 years. God is bigger than the mess, all of the messes. And there's plenty of mess to go around with this one. Yeah. And that's why I wanted to start with, with making sure that we suspended judgment. Because, boy, it's easy to get caught in that stuff. Um, abortion wasn't on the original list of taboos that I was going to tackle <laughs> because I, didn't, I wanted to make sure that we did no harm. So if we couldn't do really good aftercare, if we couldn't love people, because it's easy to peel the wound back, but, but to actually have it become healed, that's a whole other animal, right? And if you, someday I will tell you the story of how God orchestrated this weekend all by, like, it was incredible. No way you can chalk this up to good calendaring. It's not possible. <laughs> Sherry had an email arrived at exactly the right time when I was thinking about changing and shifting. I mean, it's just absolutely... Amazing, but we don't want to leave people without help. So, so where, where is the help? Where's the help? At the Whatcom County Pregnancy Clinic, we have a ministry for after-abortion care called Arms of Love. This is open to men and women who are ready, or even if you're ready-ish, because sometimes God has to push us a little bit to face the pain of abortion in their own life. We offer women's groups and we offer men's groups. We're also looking for leaders. We understand the sensitivity of abortion, so anonymity is respected at all times. However, we will be out in the commons should you want to discuss next steps, either for you or for a friend. We have brochures and contact information to give you or for you to give to your friend. 
You can also call or email the clinic if you don't want to talk tonight. Just Google the Whatcom County Pregnancy Clinic. God is waiting to radically step into your life and heal the deepest, darkest pain that you have, whatever that may be. He will not let you fall. He will walk with you every step of the way, and he will give you the strength to face the giant. Uh, when we were in our office the other day, I told you I had no idea how we were going to wrap this up. I had no idea, right? Um, years ago when I was a youth pastor, I got called to the emergency room. Because one of the leaders in the church that I was pastoring in at that time, uh, their daughter had suddenly, um, they thought it was appendicitis. She was going through all kinds of pain, rushed her to the hospital, and they called me because I was close with the family. Dad was a big dude. I mean, he was a big guy, had a bit of an attitude. To be honest, he, he would tell you now, a bit of a Pharisee. Life was just pretty easy. I got there before he did. Used my little credentialy thing to get into the back, into the ER. And as I was walking in, the doctor said, are you family? And I'm just like, kind of. It's not appendicitis. She's in labor. She's having a baby. They had no idea. No idea. She and her boyfriend are in there. And I'm thinking to myself, if my friend, the dad, shows up here, that dude's dead. And I have no idea what he's going to do with this little girl. So I waited in the waiting room for him. And I was sitting there when he came blowing in the door. Where is she? Is she okay? I said, you're going to need to sit down. He's like, no, I'm fine. Like, no, seriously, bro. You're going to need to sit down. It's not appendicitis. It's not just pain of the abdomen. Your daughter's having a baby. And I saw this wave of fear and then grief and then judgment for about a millisecond. And then I watched him do this. And when he looked up at me, he stood up to his full size. And he's not a small man. And started moving for the ER. And I like, I got in front of him. And I'm not a small, I'm not a big guy, but I got in front of him. I'm going to summon, summon my inner Canadian hockey player like I'm going I'm <laughs> to. And he put his hands on my shoulders and he said, Grant, you need to get out of the way. Because my baby needs a dad. And her child needs a grandpa. That's the heart of God for all of us. I can't do this alone. God's saying, I'll be the dad. I'm scared. I'll be strong. I sinned. I can forgive you. I don't know what to do. It's okay, I'll walk you through it. I've got it all mapped out. That's the God that Sherry and her team serve. That's the God we named our church after. Because that's his heart. And that's his heart for all of us. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to pray. After we're done, I want to encourage you. 
Stop by the table for a second. I've lost track of the number of times I've heard that during the series. I went to the table, grabbed some information, and the very next week, God had somebody right in front of me that I needed to give it to. I'd encourage you to stop there. If nothing else, would you just stop by the volunteers out there and say, oh, thank you. Thank you for what you do and how you do it. It's such a beautiful ministry. But we're going to pray, and then I'm just going to dismiss you, and I'm going to ask you to do me a favor. We're just going to keep the worship center a little quiet because you might need a little time to think or pray. The prayer team will be up here at the front. We would love to pray with you. Once again, just like on the domestic violence weekend, nobody's going to make you do anything. Just an opportunity to experience grace. So we'll be here to pray with people. The clinic volunteers are going to be there. They would love to just talk with you, chat with you. We don't do judgment around here, so nobody's going to think twice if they see you standing at that table, okay? We all stand equal in need of a glorious Savior, amen? So we're in this together. So we're going to pray together, and then uh, I'm going to release you, and we're going to play some quiet music, and you can hang out here as long as you need to. Because we want this to be a quiet, safe place for anybody that just needs a little extra time. Okay, would you join me as we pray together right now? God, I thank you for Sherry's courage in coming and helping me this weekend. God, thank you for the way you put this together. Because we did not have this planned, but you most certainly did. God, I pray right now that grace and mercy would just flood this room. That it would cover, that it would console, that it would create an opportunity for you to come alongside and wrap your everlasting arms of love around us and say, it's okay. I can forgive, I can sustain, I can support, I can walk with you. Just choose my way and see how I show up. God, I pray that we would all feel a heightened sense of responsibility when it comes to life. God, I don't know how that works itself out for each one of us, but Lord, I pray in Jesus' name, you'd do a miracle in our lives and that we would say, as far as it depends on us, we will speak for those who can't speak for themselves. We will love those who are hiding in the shadows. We will run towards the messes because that's where our God does His best work. So God, would you bless my sister and her volunteers this weekend? God, I pray that out of this time, your name would be praised, your word would be honored, and that your passionate heart for us would come through. We pray these things because you are a beautiful God. And I pray this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And all God's people said,